Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about a very common fear and a fear that can really morph into pretty acute anxiety or OCD. And that is the fear of choking. This is one that I know on a very personal level. As many of you know, I struggle with my own anxiety issues, very open about that, and my kids do too. And the fear of choking is a huge core fear of mine, as well as social anxiety. And so I'm going to share a lot of some personal experiences so you can maybe understand where your child or teen is coming from. And also, my son struggles with this. This is one of his main themes related to ARFID. And ARFID, we'll talk more about that as we dive into this podcast. But ARFID is a disorder when that restrictive eating becomes a clinical concern. And we'll get into that in a second. But I don't want to get too far off track because I want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. And NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy, and they're available in the US and outside of the US. And you can schedule your free 15 minute consultation. To see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child, just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes as well. I also want to mention that I do have a free webinar for those of you that are raising anxious kids, and it's called Five Things Every Parent Raising a Child with Anxiety Needs to Know. And it's the things I would tell my best friend or my relative if they came to me and they said, my child has anxiety, now what? These are the five things I'd want you to know. And it's the five things that I would tell every parent that came into my therapy practice. And you can hear those for free. Just go to natashadaniels.com slash anxiety webinar. Okay, so let's talk about choking. The fear of choking is a tricky one. And it's tricky because it's connected to something that we do multiple times a day (laughs) and that we need to do in order to sustain our, our life. And so it becomes a scary struggle pretty quickly when our kids develop this fear. And it can be a phobia. So it could be a very specific phobia, a phobia of choking, where your child has really no anxiety or any other issues outside of this phobia. So it could be a a phobic behavior. It can be part of the platter of anxiety that your child has. I kind of call it the buffet. You know, there's a scoop of this and there's a scoop of that. And so it could be one of many of your child's anxiety themes if they have an anxiety disorder. It can also be OCD, and we'll talk about how it can morph into OCD as well. My son has OCD, and his fear of choking is kind of balled into his OCD, and so I really wouldn't separate it out. He has a lot of compulsions. So that's kind of splitting hairs. It really doesn't matter because at the end of the day, how we're going to approach the fear of choking, whether it's a phobia, part of an anxiety disorder, or OCD, it's all going to be the same. So the first thing that we want to look at is how a fear of choking is showing up. And I'm going to use myself (laughs) because why not? And I'm going to use my son as an example on how these things show up for us. But often a fear of choking can be caused by or and or trauma. So you had a choking experience. And I do believe you have to have a predisposition to phobic or anxious behavior a lot of times because many people have choking experiences, you know, like near misses or near 
I think that's the wrong word because it's not a near miss, but um, scary situations and they don't develop a, a, a phobia of choking. And so I always look at that, like many people experience throwing up or many people see people throwing up, but they don't develop a metaphobia, the fear of throwing up. So you do have to have a little bit of that. I believe the genetics, that's my thought. Unless you had a severely traumatic situation with choking, it could be post-traumatic stress and it could be manifesting in phobic behavior. And, and that can be something um, that can happen if you have something really scary. It also could be something that can happen if you witness something really scary. So if you witness someone throwing up, why did I say throw up? <laughs> that was in my head. Uh, notice I don't edit my podcast like this. <laughs> I do have an editor, but I like to keep it real. So um, I keep all my crazy mistakes in here. But you know, if I'm seeing someone choking, obviously that's very traumatic and that could create some phobic behavior. But a lot of times we get stuck on that. And when we're raising anxious kids, a lot of times we get stuck on the the why. Even therapists sometimes can get stuck on the why of like, why are they phobic about this? Or why are they anxious about choking? What happened to them in the past? And how can we heal the past to prevent the future? And a lot of times when it comes to anxiety or OCD, the why is empty. The why is a genetic seed that's just sitting there waiting for an opportunity. So there are many anxiety themes. There's a zillion OCD themes that happen just because your child genetically is predisposed to anxiety or OCD. And it glums on to whatever really hits that nerve for that person. And that might be different for each person. And so you can have people who have a metaphobia, the fear of throwing up. I'm not making a mistake. I meant to say that. <laughs> and they never really had any trauma around throwing up. I had a metaphobia growing up. And when I did get anxious, I would throw up. So there was that, but it wasn't related to any trauma or any like experience where people were laughing at me. I just didn't want to throw up in public. I had social anxiety. And so I didn't want people to judge me. And my daughter has the same thing. And I never talked to her about my struggles until she started having her struggles. It's just genetically that strong. And the same thing can be with choking. You don't have to have had ever a bad experience to have the fear of choking. You can have a fear of a shark without ever having experienced a shark attack, right? I use that as an example a lot, just so that you can see with that example, that makes sense, right? Because I think we get stuck on but why? But why? Why is she afraid of the dark? What happened to her? Nothing bad happened to her. Something must have happened. We need to explore that. She's afraid to go to school. What happened at school? We have to explore that. And it is always good to rule out things, but it's also good to know that when you are genetically predisposed to anxiety or OCD, that the why can be empty and that's okay. Okay. Let me get off the soapbox on that one. So those are many reasons why you could develop the fear of choking. The other thing is that it can be a small component that is tied into something else. And so let's talk about a couple of those different reasons. So for me, I have more of a global fear of not having air. And so I'm afraid of choking because it's going to cut off my air. I don't like small spaces. I feel claustrophobic because I can't breathe. I need to get fresh, fresh air. I don't like recycled air. So going underwater as a kid, was a little bit tricky. You know, I'm not, I don't like to go very deep because I wonder if I'll be able to get back up. For some kids, like wearing masks became hard because the, again, they're worried about access to fresh air, snorkeling. If you do snorkeling, for me, that was really hard when I first tried it because I had to trust the process. I have all this stuff on my mouth and I need to be able to breathe. That's a bigger issue. And so choking is just one component of that. It has the ability to cut off my air supply. And so that it's really not about choking. It's about my air supply. And it's not about dying. 
It's uh, about, because when I'm in a small space and it's hot and I can't breathe, I know I'm going to survive, but I just, I can't stand it. (laughs) And my husband used to make fun of me because like, and he would like cover his head, you know, we're laying there in bed, he'd cover his head and he'd be like, I can't breathe. And that would bother me because I'm like, stop it. Because I could feel for him and I'd be like, you're not getting any fresh air. And I didn't like water on my face when I'm taking a shower, all sorts of stuff that I have been working through. That is my thing. There can be other things. You can have a child who has sensory issues, who had a really hard time with different textures when they were eating, and they might have gagged. They might have gagged when they felt a lump or when food was too chewy. They really had a hard time with their mouth being able to to eat that mechanically and so and sensory wise. And so they might have developed a secondary issue of fear of choking because they were so sensitive. Their tongue was so reactive to those things. And so that could be kind of an early cause of that. Another one that I just want to mention is pandas and pans. And so pandas and pans is, how do I explain? I don't want to dive too deep, but pandas and pans are issues where either you have an infection or you have inflammation or you have an autoimmune issue, or you have a strep infection, or there's Lyme or there's mold that causes some sort of inflammation and you have lots of symptoms, but you also have anxiety or OCD. And for some interesting reason, a common red flag with pandas and pans, and you can learn more about this at pandasnetwork.org. That's a good like beginning go-to place to check that out. Pandasnetwork.org. I just put it in there because I was like making sure that that's correct, even though I give it out all the time. But restrictive eating is a red flag for pandas and pants. It doesn't mean that every kid who has restrictive eating as pandas and pans, but it's just a red flag. And I think whenever it's a red flag in a topic that I'm talking about, it's my responsibility to let you know that. And so with my son, who we suspect has pans and autoimmune issues are rampant in my family, and he's had a history of thyroid issues, which seems to have rectified itself, which is very confusing. He's a very confusing physiological specimen. I don't understand what's going on with him, but there's definitely physical aspects of his um, anxiety and OCD. And he has ARFID. ARFID stands for Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. It was a replaced selective food disorder or selective eating disorder that was in the DSM. And they took selective eating disorder and then they moved it into ARFID, Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder, which I really am not a fan of that diagnosis because it can come from three different things. You can have ARFID And it just means that you're restrictive eating to a point where it's clinically concerning. You're losing too much weight, but the causes can be sensory. They can be fear, like phobic, fear of choking, or they can be OCD related. And those three issues to me are vastly different. They are really different issues, different disorders. Although I think the phobia and the OCD are much closer together than the sensory. But if you had a trauma, I don't know. I just don't like the way it lumps everything together, but it is what it is. And so a lot of kids with pandas and pants have restrictive eating. And so it can be a component of that as well. And it's because my son has a lot of, he was diagnosed with pants, but it's very messy. His, his whole profile is very messy, but it's not surprising that he has restrictive eating. So even though he's afraid of choking, he's had other restrictive eating themes. And you see that with pandas and pants kids, that it's not a phobic thing that's very singular. There's a lot of issues. And it started with like, you know, his food can look disgusting to him. His food, initially he was worried that his food was alive and it started with like, 
normal things like, you know, what's this made out of? Oh, it's made out of a cow. Cow's in heaven looking down on me. I can't eat it. But then it moved to vegetables and plants. Then it moved to like Cheetos and things that were like nonsensical. And that's when I knew we were, we were not in Kansas anymore. (laughs) You know, I was like, he's a very intelligent kid. He knows that doesn't make any sense. We're in the OCD world. And I'm sharing that because choking is just one part of his profile. He has had a lot of restrictive eating for lots of different reasons. We haven't been able to, you can't keep up with it. It morphs over time. And so we just have to deal with the restrictive eating as we go. So a lot of you listening could be dealing with this on many different levels, as you can tell. And that's important to know in general is that a lot of times we think we're all speaking the same language. Oh, you have social anxiety. I have social anxiety. And so we assume that it's showing up the same way. It's impacting us the same way. And it's not. My daughter has social anxiety and she is the most extroverted person in the world. And I'm introverted. We are night and day when it comes to that. But our fears around social anxiety are completely different. She can get on stage. She can talk to strangers. And there's things that she can do that I could, that I would struggle to do, but I would do because I do hard things. And there's things that I can do easily that she would struggle to do. And so it's important to know that we're, we're, even if we have the same anxiety or OCD theme, it may not be showing up in the same way, or it may not be because of the same reasons. So let's dive into some of the behaviors. So you want to break this out. And I always try to make this really simplistic in how to visualize a problem. So for dealing with choking, we want to understand a little bit about the core fear. It's not as critical as a lot of other anxiety and OCD themes, but I want to know a little bit about where it's coming from. So with my son, I know, okay, it's a pans related thing. With me, I had no experiences. This is a genetic thing. This is just it's showing up genetically for me. Nothing bad ever happened to me. I didn't see anyone choking. As I got older, when I was like in my 20s, I started to have a problem. It happened. I was, I worked in New York City and I was on the train because I lived in New Jersey. I was on the train, a commuter train. And all of a sudden I swallowed my spit and my airway closed up and I couldn't breathe. And I was like, I was trying to breathe. And it was very, very scary. And then it kind of loosened up and I was able to catch my breath again. And that was the beginning of this ongoing issue where I swallow my spit a lot. And I don't know if that's a medical condition. (laughs) Maybe one of you does and you'll email me. I don't know. I actually was working with a kid a while back and she like in passing mentioned that she was seeing an occupational therapist for swallowing her spit and there was a name for it. And I was fascinated by that because this has been an ongoing struggle for me. But what I've noticed, and I'll just go on this like little tangent for a second and then we'll get back to the the fear of choking. But this, this is tied in to my current fear, which is really interesting because I guess we all probably swallow our spit sometimes, you know, it goes down the wrong pipe that happens. Um, It does seem to happen more often for me. I don't know why, but when I react with fear, my airway shuts down, like my, everything closes up like instantly. And the minute I distract myself and I can look at a picture or I can like think of a different thing, it, it like instantly releases. It's an anxiety response, which I find kind of fascinating. And so it's been like this anxiety gym for me when it happens to quickly relax. It's like, it's the counterintuitive thing that you'd want to like, that you would think to do. Like you feel like you're choking and you are choking. You're getting no air coming down and you're making it worse by worrying about it. And so it's tightening and it's tightening. And so it's how to be calm with no air coming in, which for me, having a phobia of choking prior to this issue 
It's like a universe joke. <laughs> it's like, let's just give her something that's going to actually make her choke. And then she has to be calm in order for it to be cured. But I've been doing better with it because when it happens, it is scary. But I'll just quickly get my phone and I'll look at pictures and like I'll focus on something else and instantly it opens up again. So weird. Okay. Long tangent. Now you know way too much about me or way more than you wanted to ever know about me. But you want to start with, you know, where it comes from. And if it comes from, actually after the break, we'll talk about all the the ways to deal with this. So I'll stay a little bit more focused. We're looking at core fears and then we're looking at behaviors. So we can call these behaviors safety behaviors. So safety behavior is a word that therapists use more in the anxiety world than the OCD world. And they are behaviors that are used to kind of like counteract the anxiety. And often they're unhealthy coping mechanisms. And so we have safety behaviors in social anxiety. We have safety behaviors in all sorts of anxiety themes. Now, if it's OCD or if it's PANDAS PANS, they can be really called compulsions. Again, it's kind of splitting hairs with this particular issue because it doesn't really matter too much, but just so that you know the language. And so with my son, we call them compulsions. They're compulsions because it might be choking one day, but then the next day it's like, it looks, it reminds him of throw up or it looks, you know, he's got a metaphobia too, or it could be something, a different theme. And so, but he has a lot of compulsions related to this core fear. So don't get too hung up on safety behavior versus compulsions. It's fine in this topic, but I want to go over some of them and you might recognize your kid in some of these. So I'm just going to list them and kind of just, most of them are self-explanatory, but you can have over-chewing. No, over-chewing might not go noticed. I didn't notice my son's over-chewing until I started to really watch him eat. And we developed a somewhat unhealthy way to handle his eating which I'm sure eating therapists would be like, no, 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 that's terrible. (laughs) But you know, when you're about to have your kid G-tubed, you're like, I don't care what, I'll do whatever works. And so he would watch his iPad to distract himself while he ate. And it worked a little bit. And then we did exposures and slowly we moved away from him doing a lot of these compulsions, which we'll go over. But when I started to really watch him or when he was doing an exposure, I noticed that he could chew something for 15, 20 minutes. And it wasn't something chewy. It would like be disintegrating in his mouth and there would be like literally microscopic amounts of food left and he still felt like he needed to chew it. So when I'm saying over chewing, I'm saying it can get very extreme where your child cannot swallow for long periods of time and you may not notice it. So if you have a child who has a fear of of choking, watch them eat without them knowing that you're watching. (laughs) So you're not like some weirdo just staring at them. They're gonna make them self-conscious, but watch how long it takes them before they get their next piece. Because I was shocked when I saw that. I was like, oh my gosh, no wonder why he's not eating a lot. Because some of the some of the things you might notice, they're not completing their meals, they're leaving a lot of food left, but you not you may not be realizing that it's because every bite is taking them 20 minutes. So pay attention to that. Overcutting, I am guilty of that. I have overcut my kids' food for a very long period of time where I mentally had to be like, stop cutting their food. Like they're like 11 or 13. Like you don't need to be cutting their food. They need to learn how to use a knife, you know, but I would cut their hot dogs, like, you know, horizontally, horizontally, you know what I mean? Like wide so that it wasn't a choking hazard. So that was my anxiety was actually fueling theirs. Although I wasn't very articulate about my choking anxiety. I was very articulate about my social anxiety, but I didn't really talk at all about my choking because I didn't want to like pass it on through my behavior. 
So I don't even think my kids really noticed. I think it was just convenient that I was cutting their food. But overcutting, if your kid's cutting their food to small little tiny, tiny bites, that could be a safety behavior. Selective eating is a big one, right? So I'm only going to eat safe foods. And what they deem to be safe can quickly move into the nonsensical world. And so we might say, okay, they're going to avoid steak, you know, really chewy things. But a lot of kids will start avoiding things that would, we wouldn't deem as chewy or difficult to eat. So selective eating, they start to get their favorite foods or their go-to foods and their food choice gets more and more narrow. And so they just might have, you know, one or two foods that they eat. And, and a lot of kids can go into food jags where they can only eat one thing and then they burn out on that food and they can never eat that food again. And so they burn out of food as an option. My son at his worst was eating mainly goldfish. Like that was his safe food and McDonald's. And the fact that he liked McDonald's was a godsend at the time because I could get protein in him because otherwise he'd be literally eating just goldfish. He didn't want protein shakes. He couldn't eat anything. And so it became a real issue. And interesting side note, many side notes today. I'm sorry. We have a lot of personal experience with this. His selective eating started at eight months old. Isn't that crazy? And this goes back to pans. He developed a really bad strep infection. And I think I'm trying to think at that point. And I remember the pediatrician said, you can't get strep at his age. And his throat was just completely red. I don't even remember because I have no memory, but eventually I think they did give him antibiotics. But after that experience, and he was eight months old, he would only eat banana yogurt. It was like Gerber's banana yogurt. He wouldn't drink water, milk, nothing. He wouldn't eat anything. And the only thing we could get down him was Gerber banana yogurt. Thank, thank the gods for Gerber banana yogurt. And I remember we'd go to Target and we'd fill up our shopping cart with yogurt because he had to have, I think, four or five a day, maybe a little bit more to sustain him. And so like to feed him for a week, it was like half a shopping cart of yogurt. I don't know what they thought about us and I don't care. But, and I remember calling the pediatrician and saying, he is literally only eating yogurt. Like I'm not exaggerating. Like this is his preferred food, like no water, no milk. Can a, can a kid survive on banana yogurt? The pediatrician was like, yeah, there's enough water and yogurt. It should be fine. Which honestly, they should have been a lot more alarmed, but, and that lasted for about, I think it was like four or five months, a big chunk. And then he was completely better. Like that was his first flare, which is crazy. Um, and then he was fine. And then we had restrictive eating again. And now it feels like there's not flares with his pants. It's like he permanently struggles with eating. He's on medication to help him eat, to increase his appetite. And I don't see it going away. I mean, it gets worse sometimes and then it's a little manageable and then it gets worse and he's in a good place right now. And he's older, he's 13, he's really trying to work on it. But I do feel like it's interesting that his selective eating started at eight months. Crazy, right? So watch that selective eating. Another one is spitting out chewy foods. So if you see, and this is what was one indication for me that we had a problem. I was like, Houston, we have a problem. When I saw paper towels all over the side of him when he was eating. And I was like, what is that? And then I realized he was spitting out all of his food. And then when I honed in on it, he got a little crafty and he would go to the trash and spit it directly into the trash. So I didn't notice when he was younger. And so that's another thing, spitting out food. A lot of times they think it's chewy, but it's the thing, it's everything's chewy. Everything becomes chewy or there's a chewy bite or there's a hard bit. You can eat a waffle and he'll be like, there was a hard bit that was chewy. Waffles aren't chewy. <laughs> you know, I'm like what? Checking food. So sometimes 
I'll notice my son pull out food and check it. And actually this has become a new problem. And I was thinking about this today when we're doing this episode, I was thinking I have to talk to him because there's a couple of things he's been mentioning to me that I've been treating as a normal problem that I realize it's not a normal problem. And so you want to be aware just to use me as like a complete example, be aware of new issues. Don't get so stuck in knowing the issue and knowing how it presents that you are blind to upcoming things because anxiety and OCD is like a conveyor belt. And you don't want to just focus on what's right in front of you on the conveyor belt. Like you might want to look to the left and see what's coming up so that you can be proactively grabbing those and getting them off of your conveyor belt. Does that make sense? He's been mentioning to me that he's worried that his brackets on his braces are going to fall off and he's going to choke on them. And so yesterday, last night, he said to me, well, I've done a couple of mistakes recently with highlighting something about his food. (laughs) It does not help. And a lot of you probably can relate. When you have the same anxiety theme that your child has, like with social anxiety, well, no, that that doesn't always help either. Like it's great because you can relate, but it's also bad because you are anxious along with them. And so you have to do your own work, which I've been doing. But a couple, like a couple of weeks ago, and I already mentioned this if you listen to my podcast on a regular basis, I mentioned to him he was cooking chicken and it was like he's used to chicken nuggets and it was raw chicken. And so I said to him, because he said, I think it's done, and he took it out and it was like still raw. And most of the time my kids are used to like fully cooked chicken nuggets. And so I said to him, These are not cooked, like this is raw. So you need to make sure that it is like white in the center before you eat it. That's kind of a normal thing that anyone would say to their kid, but he cooked it for the amount of time that it was supposed to be cooked. And then he ate one and he couldn't eat any more because he just kept having these intrusive thoughts that it wasn't fully cooked. And so he wound up throwing it away, which then I felt bad. I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said anything. But you know what? That's not true. We should say things that we could say to another child. So if you can say it to any child, you should say it to your kid too in general because we don't want to cocoon them. But it did trigger a lot of new themes that I'm thinking because last night he was making like a TV dinner. And I know I let him eat a bunch of crap because I'm like, I just, I'm happy that he's eating. And I don't know, for some reason he said, oh, I have to make sure that the chicken in this is at like a certain degrees. And I'm like, no, you don't. Cause he was like, do we have, do we have a gadget that will tell me the internal temperature of the meat? (laughs) I was like, no. And then I'm like, yeah, we do. Why? He's like, well, because I need to know like the internal temperature of the chicken to make sure it's cooked. And I was like, it's a TV dinner. You do not need to know that. And he goes, mom, it's on the box. It's on the box. And I was like, okay, fine. If it's on the box, it's fine. But I'm thinking that might be a problem. (laughs) So, I mean, separate, a lot of kids who have a fear of choking also have a fear of food not being thoroughly cooked. That could be a fear of throwing up. That's his fear. You get a lot of food issues. I had some salmon that I was eating last night. My kids don't like to eat what I eat, but he wanted some. And so I gave him half. And then I made the comment, which I really shouldn't have. And it was partly, I think, my own struggle as well. I said, it's fish. Just be careful if there's any bones. (laughs) And then afterwards, I shouldn't laugh. It's not funny. But I did once get a bone. And, you know, I mean, it's fish. You have to be a little careful. But he's already really careful. So did I need to mention that? Probably not. And then at the end, he ate it or he wanted to go do something. And I had said to him, you can't, you can't go back on VR until you eat like a normal dinner. Like you have to eat something besides taquitos. <laughs> he loves taquitos, not taquitos. He always, it's Takis. He loves Takis, which aren't really good for his stomach because they're spicy. But he said, 
you know, yeah, I ate it all. It was a little hard because I was worried about bones, you know, um, and that makes me really nervous. When you said that, it makes me really nervous. But I also worry about, and this is the thing that got me concerned and is an example of something to listen to with your kids about new themes popping up on that conveyor belt. He said, I also worry about my brackets, you know, getting loose and me eating them and choking on them. And so sometimes if I'm on a, if I have a chewy piece, I have to pull it out and check and make sure it's not a bracket. And in that moment I said, okay, well that, you know, that makes sense, but it's not, it's not a good thing. That's on the conveyor belt. And so I need to readdress that. And sometimes when your kids say things that are, you're like, oh, that's a red flag. Don't address it right in the moment um, necessarily, even though I think I probably didn't address it because I just didn't have the energy last night or I didn't really think about it. So I didn't do it purposely. It sounds like it was beautiful and intentional that I was going to just pause and wait and talk to him about it later. But honestly, I just didn't have the energy and I wasn't even thinking about it. But that's something I need to circle back with and address that on the conveyor belt because that seems very compulsive to me. So pay attention to those things. They might check their food. They might check their food for hardness. They might check their food for bones, whether it's fish or you know meat that has bones. So checking their food. Another one that you might miss and that I missed as well is that some kids will excessively drink while eating. And that is one of his compulsions. And so you may not notice that. You may not notice when your kid is over chewing. You may not notice that they're over drinking. So they have to take a, they have to drink with every bite to get it down. So that's something to look at as well. And when it gets really, really bad, we have kids that are on pure soft diets or when it's really, really bad, pure liquid diet. And I have even seen kids in my practice where they can't even have liquids because they're afraid they're going to choke on the liquid. And so at that point, we're looking at G2 being a child and, you know, inpatient care like that. It can, it's a spectrum, right? So after the break, I want to talk about, now we talked about all the doom and gloom. Let's turn to the sun and talk about different ways that you can do things to proactively help your child. Silver lining, my choking fear is much better. I'm actually you know, swallowing my, I'm choking on my spit and I'm trying to like work through my Zen. And that's, that's a miracle. And my son is doing much better. He's gained a lot of weight. He's vocal about when he's struggling. In fact, that reminds me, he earned five points last night for chewing a chewy piece. And we're going to talk about what that means and how, how we're working on it in my house to create a therapeutic home environment and how it's keeping the ball moving in the right direction. We'll be right back after this break. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do, so we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP-trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start, get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it 
a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. <laughs> I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized that it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's a nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. All right, welcome back. So let's talk about some action steps that you can do. The first thing, we're going to go back to the very beginning. We talked about identifying the core fear. If it's trauma-related, I do feel like I need to give a little shout-out to trauma and say, if your child had a serious choking incident, or if, see, my son actually did have what I think was a really bad choking incident twice. He choked on some Panda Express orange chicken when he was about three, which I don't think he remembers. So super traumatizing for me, but I don't think he remembers. And he was a little bit older when he choked on some sushi, seaweed, you know, like when it unravels and it gets kind of long and gets stuck in your throat. He does remember that, but he had selective eating history issues before that. And so that it didn't help right? We all choke at some time. Like it's a common thing to have happen or see someone struggling for a second. But if your child had some real trauma, it can be helpful to do EMDR. And EMDR is a type of therapy. It's fantastic for trauma-based struggles. And I would recommend looking for an EMDR therapist to work on the trauma related to the choking. Okay. As we move forward from that, once we understand the core fear, and again, not too critical, but helpful, then we want to identify the other component. So whenever we're looking at anxiety or OCD, I always look at the core fear or core theme on one side, that's number one. And number two on the other side is the safety behavior, if we're talking about anxiety or the compulsions, if we're talking about OCD and the accommodations, right? Which is your part. What do you do that actually you know, helps perpetuate the anxiety or OCD inadvertently? And so we want to identify those things. So for my son, we actually sat down when he got a little bit older and he was willing to work on this and we actually wrote it out, you know, we didn't have to go too far into the intrusive thought. It was like, I'm afraid of choking. Okay. We got that right. And Cause it can morph for him. It doesn't matter. The compulsions were the most important part. And so we said, what are the compulsions you do when you're afraid you're going to choke or, or you're afraid you have an intrusive thought about your food? Cause for him, it can go beyond choking. And he identified things that I hadn't noticed. He identified needing to excessively drink. He also said, I need to put sauces on it, like ketchup or, and he did, he would put ketchup or soy sauce on everything. Like things that it just did not match. Like, ew, why are you putting soy sauce on that? And as we were identifying all of his compulsions, it made it more liquidy. It made it easier for him to get down. Also taste wise, sometimes his brain will tell him it tastes weird. And so he likes the taste of ketchup. And so it was an easy way to disguise that. 
So if your child is willing and able, you have to wait until your child is able. And then, and if they're not able, then you have to, you know, search my podcast for podcasts on motivation and communication and trust. I have plenty of them on those topics because that will help you get to that point where your child is willing to open up. And it took a while for my son, but then he wrote out the list over chewing, over cutting, selective eating, spitting out chewy foods, checking foods, excessively drinking while eating, uh, distracting himself with his iPad was a compulsion actually. And I'm trying to think if there was another one. Uh, I feel like that was it. They might ask you, and that would be your accommodations, right? Is this safe to eat? Or can you cut this smaller? Or I don't know, anything that involves you, right? That they're asking you for. So we want to list the safety behavior, the compulsions. And then you want to help your child understand why it's important for them to work on this. And so one thing that I did with my son is you may be able to eat this, this, and this now, but when you give in to OCD, and we talk about it as OCD with him, it will take more and more from you. And so we had a conversation about how does your eating impact you? And he'll say, I think about it all the time. You know, I won't eat, but I remember when I was little, I was like starving all the time and I felt really weak and I felt lightheaded. And I had no idea he was like, I always assumed he wasn't hungry. Like I, I knew he had issues, but I never really, I never under fully understood that he was actually feeling the effects of starvation, which is very sad and overwhelming to think about. But then he'd also say things like, I don't like my size. I don't like that I'm small. You know, he's a very tiny 13 year old now because of all of these issues. And then he'll say, like, when we're traveling, I don't, I don't know what to eat, or I have to worry about will there be food that I can eat there? And so he was identifying all the things that OCD around food was robbing from him. If your child is not able to fully see that, then you have to kind of connect the dots. Um, how does it impact you when we travel? Or how does it impact you at school? For my son, you know, he wouldn't have enough time to eat at lunch. He has a social anxiety. So I think he doesn't like to eat in front of people, but it takes him a very long time to eat because he is having to chew and chew and chew. And so he would skip recess. And I think part of that was social anxiety, but he'd want to get in a line so he can get to the table and eat um, while he has to buy lunch because for some reason he eats better anything that's outside of our house. And it's not about contamination. I don't know what it's about, but so he buys food that he probably doesn't eat. And then he runs out of time. And so getting your kids to see how this issue is impacting them is really important. For my son, because I'm a therapist, I'm I'm able to sometimes use my experience and I'll say, I know kids who started off like you and they are on a pure liquid diet now. Cuz the more you give in to your anxiety or OCD, the more anxiety or OCD wants to take. And so it's never satisfied or satiated, it's always wanting more. And the more you give, to it, the more it takes. And so the only way to cope with anxiety or OCD is to work through it. You know, you can't avoid it. You can't listen to it and follow its rules and directions and hope that it's going to get better because it doesn't. And even if you think your kids are going to grow out of this, they don't. There's adults that are on liquid diets because they are so consumed with the fear of choking. Okay. So working on motivation is the next step. Finding a good therapist actually should be the first step, you know, but they're hard to find, but find a therapist who specializes in anxiety and OCD or phobias. If you're dealing with pandas and pans, you might want to develop a team. So you might go to pandas, pandasnetwork.org and look at their providers. So you get a medical aspect on your team and then find a therapist that specializes in pandas and pans and anxiety and OCD. And that can be really helpful. It will be a unicorn, but there are some unicorns out there or they're growing. 
we're getting more unicorns, but you're going to want to find someone who specializes in phobias and ERP, exposure response prevention. And so you can always look at the International OCD Foundation. Even if your child doesn't have OCD, the way that they're going to handle fear will be through ERP. An ERP therapist would be a a very skilled clinician to handle this. And so you can go to IOCDF, International OCD Foundation, IOCDF.org slash find dash help. And they have a directory there. You can also go to treatmyocd.com. That's no CD. And I know that might be like, well, my child doesn't have OCD, but it's a phobia and a phobia can be treated through exposures and ERP and their ERP therapist. And so no CD, treatmyocd.com. They're another place to go. And I would be telling you that even if they didn't sponsor my episodes, because I, you know, it's just nice to have, you know, that they are trained through no CD. And so that makes me feel better when I give out that resource. Okay. Moving from there, things that you can do at home with the support of a therapist, but if you don't have a therapist, you can still do this. One thing that I do with my son, and I do have a whole episode on ARFID, I go over this maybe even in more detail. And so you can check out that episode. You can go to my website at atparentingsurvival.com. There's a search button at the very, very bottom. Just scroll all the way down and there's a search button to your right. If you are on your phone, I don't know where the search button is, probably still all the way down. And then just Type in ARFID, A-R-F-I-D, and that podcast will pop up. So if, I've, if I'm ever talking about anything and I say I have a podcast and you're like, where, how? The best place is to go to my website at AT Parenting Survival. Or if you can't remember that or you don't have a pen right now, you can just go to natashadaniels.com. I'm so excited that I have that now. <laughs> so natashadaniels.com, and then it'll it'll forward you over to my website. And then you can search for it, search for any topic there. But so I do go into detail about this approach, but what we did was we got an Excel spreadsheet and we made a list of green, yellow, and red zoned foods. And so green foods were his safe foods. Yellow foods were like, I can eat it, but I might struggle. And his red foods were like, my OCD says I cannot eat that at all. And his didn't really make any sense. I mean, cheese was his red, was a red food for him. Cheese is not chewy. We're talking about like dry cheddar cheese, like not melted. So it may not make sense to you. You know, they might think that they're going to choke on things that are like my son would have a problem worrying about choking with like a pancake or something that was like, or a cracker or something that actually breaks down in your mouth really fast. So don't think of these in rational ways because sometimes it's nonsensical. And so what we did was we worked our way through the list. And so you know, we'd have him eat his green foods so that he kept his caloric intake. One thing that eventually helped is his issue was very acute. And so you may not be needing this, but we put him on uh, Zyprexa, which is actually an antipsychotic medication, but a very, very tiny, tiny amount of Zyprexa, super tiny. Um, He's getting a quarter of one pills, very, very small, but it increases appetite. Like that's actually a side effect that people don't like about Zyprexa. It's also a mood stabilizer and it has really helped both of his OCD and his mood stability. That was just a benefit side note, but his appetite is much, much bigger. Um, In fact, we had to lower the dose because his appetite got too big. We had tried some other things like periactin and stuff and that didn't really make a difference for him, but the Zyprexa did make a, a big difference. And so having that medication along with exposures were really helpful. And so we would work our way through the list. And he would eat the green foods, the safe foods. He had more of an appetite. And so he couldn't 
the way that he described it is like his OCD would show up, but he was so hungry that that took precedent. It like overwhelmed the OCD and he needed to eat. And so he, you know, built up his caloric intake. Recently we found Boost. I'm trying to think what it's called because he didn't like Boost before, or maybe we didn't try it. We have tried every single protein drink. Let me look it up really quick. We have tried Kate Farms. We have tried Pediasure. I mean, I feel like we have tried the plethora of protein bars and protein drinks out there. Protein bars never work because they are food and they feel like you're going to, they're not good. And he feels like it's too hard to eat, but he could drink just recently. He has started, he's gone off of it recently now that I think about it, but he went on a period of time where he was drinking this boost, but it's boost very high calorie. And it's only eight fluid ounces. And I think it's like 530 calories or maybe more, no, or maybe less. Let me see. I'll look it up. 530 calories. Yeah. 200 and no, not 200. (laughs) That'd be crazy. 22 grams of protein. So really, really helpful. And 26 vitamins and minerals, which was really helpful. And it's really tiny. And so he was drinking that. And the nice thing is he was pretty articulate in saying, my OCD is trying to ruin this for me. It'll tell me that it tastes gross now, or it'll tell me it's going to make me throw up or, and so anxiety and OCD, especially OCD can try to then sabotage anything that's helpful. And I am, I am noticing he's not drinking them anymore. So my whole point is be aware. You know, sometimes when I'm talking to you, it actually helps me because then I'm talking out loud, which kind of feels like I'm talking to myself because I'm alone right now. And it brings some awareness to me, which will hopefully help you too. But so we made this list of green, yellow, and red, and then we would add a little bit of yellow. And so he would do an exposure where we'd have the green food and then he'd pick a yellow food that he would eat and he would earn points that he could trade in for Robux or VR or extra video time, you know, things that were a good currency for him in that moment, whatever age he was. And then we'd eventually, we'd always only work on the yellow foods, but the red foods started to turn into yellow. And that's the beautiful thing is when you're doing exposures, a lot of times the hardest challenges start to turn into the medium challenges as you work your way up. And so that happened for him. I don't know if he really even has any red foods left. I think just periodically his OCD will just kind of glum onto something and say, this is chewy, you can't chew it. But working your way through the list. And the other thing that we would do once once he started to be able to eat these things, and so we started with him eating these things with all of his safety behaviors intact. So we didn't touch the compulsions. He was just able to just eat this food. You know, so he would eat a yellow food or never we'd never touch the red because they the red would move into the yellow, luckily. But he would eat these foods and he could do his safety behavior. So if he wanted to overchew or if he wanted to, you know, do whatever, that was fine. And then we moved it up where he would reduce, he would pick one safety behavior he wasn't going to do. And so, you know, we did overchewing. And this one was a hard one. And so he got a timer out. And when the timer went off, he had to make sure that he swallowed it. And so he could only chew for a certain period of time. That one's hard because I felt like it put on extra pressure for him because he knew like the timer was going. And so we had to be careful with that one. The other ones that we've done where he would have to eat without any liquids, he could he could drink after he was done. No iPad while he was eating. I'm trying to think of the different things that we did. He didn't have overcutting. That was a me problem. And I didn't really overcut his food. I was just cutting his food. <laughs> and I'm not doing that anymore. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that we did. But what we did do eventually is we moved into him self-managing. And 
that's the ultimate goal is that we get to a place over time where our kids are self-managing. He is intrinsically motivated at this point to beat his OCD because he doesn't like the way it holds him back. He wants to be big and strong. He wants to be tall. Um, He's made fun of, he's bullied because of that. And so there's this intrinsic motivation of, I don't want you to take away my calories. He also really enjoys food. Ironically, this is a kid who loves to eat different culture foods. When we travel, he loves to experiment and eat food. He loves Asian foods. In fact, when we were in Denmark, ironically, we had an Airbnb and I went out and I had to buy him a bunch of noodles. It was like ramen noodles, but like with different Asian sauces, because that's the only thing that he really wanted to eat while we were in Denmark and McDonald's. <laughs> and so he does, you know, he he is adventurous with what he'll try to eat, which I think is really interesting. And he loves Japanese food. He loves J- Japan in general. But, and so it doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to make sense, but he is, he is internally motivated. So we have, and you, you probably have heard me talk about this, and I do have a whole podcast on this, on how to set up a behavior plan. Let me see what that's called. Okay. So that's episode 123, developing good incentives to get kids to work on anxiety or OCD. And honestly, I just went to web, my website. I scrolled down to the bottom and I typed in rewards and it popped up. So you can use keywords and you can find the things I'm talking about. But when I tell you the title, it makes it easier because you can type in good incentives and this episode will pop up. And so if you want a deep dive on how to create an incentive plan, go ahead and listen to that one because I'm not going to go into detail about that. But we use an app. I've talked about this a lot called Privilege Points. It's a chore app, but I I just adapt it and I use it for exposures. And so when he eats things or when he does an exposure where he purposely eats something, sometimes he'll want VR time or he'll want something that is not a privilege that he currently has. And he'll say, what exposures can I do? And we have this built-in currency, not only with him, but with my daughter as well, who has OCD and anxiety. And they get the things they need, but anything they want, they have to earn through points. And so if they want something, like my daughter recently wanted like a a socket thing for her phone, and I wasn't going to get her one because the one that I had broke or the one that she had broke. And I said, well, you can earn it. Or she wants Legos or she wants, and he wants extra VR time, or he wants to buy a game in VR and anything they want has to be earned. And the only way they can earn it is not through chores or anything anything else, because they'll gladly do that. It's only through exposures. And so when you create that, um, you're creating a very helpful therapeutic environment. So last night, for example, my son was eating, what was he eating? I guess he was eating the fish that I gave him. (laughs) And he's probably really extra nervous because I made this comment about the bones. And I sent him, you need to get ready to go to bed. He has this habit of like having a second meal right before bedtime. And part of it is probably because he knows that if he's eating, I'm not going to like, historically, I wouldn't force him to bed because I'm like, oh, he's eating. But lately I've been really tough with that. I'm like, I don't care if you're eating or not, you'll eat tomorrow um, because he's he's getting bigger, you know? And so that's a good thing. But he was chewing and, and he said, I said, are you having a hard time with that? And he said, yeah, uh, I just want to spit it out, but I'm not doing it. And then he said, can I get five points for this? And he has to get permission. You know, I don't, he doesn't, he can't say to me, oh, I did something now give me five points. Like it has to be pre-approved. And so I said, yeah, definitely. So he's, he's very aware of, you know, pushing back on his OCD and he, he earned the five points. It took him a little while and the thing was pretty small in his mouth, but that's not happening all the time, but kids will hide their struggles, especially as they get older. So we have to just be aware of watching a little bit closer 
and being observant. And so he earned five points and he'll cash that in like he typically does. He'll get like 20 points and he'll cash it in for a game or something. But having a behavior plan like that really helps. And having a daily exposure, if your kid is willing to do that, on what can you eat today and start off with just that. What can you eat today that is in the yellow zone? And it's okay with all the safety behaviors because if you overwhelm them too fast, then you shut them down. And so starting with that and then slowly saying, can you eat something in the yellow or something, you know, greenish yellow and not do a safety behavior. And then eventually we got up to the point where he couldn't do any safety behaviors and that did help. I'm actually thinking last night, I feel like he took a drink of water. (laughs) This is like my therapy session today. I feel like he drank. I'm going to have to review that with him because he would not get the five points if he drank to get the thing down. And he did. And so we're at the point, we're at the advanced point where he wouldn't earn those points because an exposure is not an exposure if you do a compulsion. And he looked at me and he he reached for his drink and I said, nope, not your drink. And he drank. And so he does not earn those five points. Luckily, I haven't given them to him yet anyway, but I'll have to have a discussion about that. And so dealing with anxiety or CD can be a little messy as obvious by my self-narration of my own struggles. But I do hope that you found this helpful. I am going to link, if your child has a a hard time taking pills, that goes hand in hand with the fear of choking. I get this on a very personal level. I don't like taking pills. I'm very annoying to my doctor because I'll be like, what size is the pill? How big is it? Do you have a liquid form? (laughs) And now I have to take this pill every day. And it's like, it's not a small pill. It's actually been a great exposure for me. Um, There was another pill that she had me on that was like massive. And I'm like, I'm not doing this every day. Like it is not worth the stress. But this smaller one, it's not tiny. It's like a regular size pill. Like Motrin size is tiny. I can do that. (laughs) This one's a little bit bigger, maybe twice as big. But a lot of kids have problems swallowing pills and a lot of them have to take pills or medicine. And so I am going to link a website that talks about techniques to teach kids. I think that can be really helpful. And I hope that you found this episode helpful in general. If you are enjoying my podcast and you find it's helpful, don't forget to hit a star or write a review. You know, I greatly appreciate that. Um, To show my appreciation, I always like to end reading one of them. There was one that I think I read, but I'm not sure. And I'm going to read it again because to me, it's much worse to not recognize someone who took the time to write a review than for you to hear it twice. So it's not a problem. Let's see. Mom Learning About OCD wrote most helpful podcast for anxiety and OCD. My daughter recently received an OCD diagnosis at seven. Although we have been seeking answers since she was four, this podcast has been the most helpful resource for my family. Thank you for teaching skills, providing support, humor, and hope to so many families. I actually think I did read that, but that is okay. And I also want to thank CWW from Texas who wrote so helpful. Natasha is a godsend. I just discovered her today and I'm listening nonstop. I feel so empowered with the knowledge she is sharing. Thank you for taking the time to write that review. I really appreciate it. I read every single one and I read them out loud to the audience. One, for you to hear it and know that I've seen it and I appreciate it and there's gratitude there, but also, you know, it's nice for other people to hear the gratitude that you're sharing about your experience. And so thank you. Well, I will be back next Tuesday with another topic. Don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 